How's it going, guys? Connor Gilson here, and this is episode 21. So, I'm a little a little bit of a excitement there that I've gotten this far, and still have things to talk about, you know. <laughs> um, but we're continuing. Why am I so freaking happy? Uh, once again tonight, and I'm pretty excited about it. I'm doing a little bit better than I was last night. Um, still kind of a rough day, but. It ends when I close my eyes in about an hour, so then hopefully the rest of the week goes well. Um, been doing pretty much everything that I want to do, been working a lot, been actually going to the gym, um, which is actually helping me feel better, which is good, and all that good stuff, so um, I'm a little tired after going to the gym because I just got back, but hey, it's what you gotta do, it's what you gotta do. Um, so let's jump into the information for tonight. Um, I have a lot of it here. I have it segmented in two parts. I don't know if I'm going to get to, um, the end of both parts, um, because I don't want to rush and cram the information. I want to actually make this podcast of quality. So we'll see how it goes. But I don't know, depending on the age, um, of my listeners, uh, when I was a kid, there was this show, um, called Zorro, um, and there were, I guess, before I was born, like, live action ones, which I watched when I was a kid as well, um, but it's interesting, because looking at his story, um, at the beginning, when he started, uh, if you don't know who Zorro is, he was, <clears throat> what I'd like to say was a vigilante that um, used, like, a sword, pretty much. And he would, like, fight bad guys, and then he'd, like, cut a Z and pretty much everything. It was kind of his thing. Um, but uh, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting, at least when I was a kid it was. Um, I haven't watched it in years, so. And I believe it happened in about the time, if I remember correctly, excuse me, Um, if I remember correctly, during like the Wild Wild West time, I think, Um, maybe my, like I said, I watched this when I was a kid, but the one thing that I did remember was his pretty much origin story, and his origin story was, um, in the beginning, he wanted to fight villains, he wanted to bring justice and, you know, be a vigilante, basically, Um, and he tried, he had all this zeal and excitement and, you know, goals of what he wanted to do and for good reasons and all that good stuff, all this motivation. And he tried and tried and tried and tried. And slowly he realized that he didn't really have what it took. Um, and that all his dreams were pretty much unattainable for him, uh, to the point where he would spend, every single day in a bar, just drinking and kind of complaining and feeling bad for himself for the fact that he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do, which in his defense was something he wanted to do to help people and then he couldn't do it. So it would compound the effects of feeling bad about not doing it. Um, I can't remember the guy's name he meets. Um, I think it's like Don or Dan or something like that. Um, but he meets him and I believe it was at the bar. Um, And this guy starts to teach him how to be a master swordsman. And 
the interesting thing was one of the first things that he taught them taught him was he had him stand and then he drew a really small like circle around him and the whole premise was he had to learn to operate inside that circle uh, in fact he was told that the circle is his whole life all that matters everything that's outside of the circle doesn't matter and he had to do everything that his mentor or I want to say, yeah, like mentor would teach him. Um, and eventually, you know, the circle got bigger and bigger and they led to him. Like he's very like, um, did a lot of acrobatics and stuff like swinging from ropes and jumping from trees and all of that stuff, jumping onto trains and fighting people on tops of trains, things like that. Um, but it all started within that little circle. He taught them or he taught him to operate in that circle while fighting and then gradually grew the circle and gradually added things to it. Now, I feel, before I get into the rest of that analogy, let's just call that Zorro's circle, okay? Um, before I get into the rest of that analogy, I feel that 92% about of people are taught against that because if we go to and you know i i've talked about how i have some concerns about college and things like that um but i'm going to kind of widen the scope here i think our whole education system kind of teaches us to make that circle way too big in the beginning um countless studies have shown that human mind excels at learning things um, if they specialize or have a niche and learn that. But in school, we're taught a lot. And maybe when we're younger, it makes sense. We need to learn math. We need to learn English or things like that. And I think there, was, there should have been a point where we learned all the basic stuff and then we decided our path. Maybe around the ages of like 12, 13. Because that's what I ended up doing. I just was like whatever, I'll do school, but I'm not really going to care about anything unless it's the things that I care about and focus on them. But, and that helped me. But I feel that a lot of people leave school or leave college thinking that's how they should learn, how they should become an expert in something by learning everything, being a jack of all trades. And that circle is way too big. So while you're hearing this, while you're hearing this analogy or this metaphor, think about doing this now. Um, no matter what your age is, and hopefully you're hearing this, the younger the better, which would be my preferable way. But if you're 40 or 50 and you're listening to this, um, or 60 or 70, I don't think it's too late to start. Um, and maybe a lot of you that are older have found this kind of on your own, by accident, by happenstance, by the things teaching you. But if you're young and you're listening to this, or if you're older and you haven't thought about this analogy... Think about that. You think about people like Colonel Sanders, the one that um, opened uh, KFC. Uh, he started at a very old age with his, he took what he was good at with his secret recipe for fried chicken and he started there and he grew and grew and grew. Same thing with McDonald's. You start small and you get bigger. If you try to take on too much, you'll burn out or you'll crack and you'll overwhelm yourself and fall apart 
It's not something you want to do. So going back to that and kind of tying in that metaphor, and it's a very powerful metaphor because we can achieve our most ambitious goals in our jobs, our careers, our personal lives by having that concept. And one of the biggest drivers of success is the belief that our behavior matters, that we have control over our future. Yet, however, when our stresses and our workloads seem to overburden us, then our ability to keep up and then keep having that feeling of control are often the first things to go, right? We start becoming paralyzed. We have the helpless, hopeless syndrome that I talked about last night. Um, And if we tackle too much at once, then it overwhelms us. See, a lot of people think, and like it's a kind of a subconscious thing inside of our head, that a lot of people, if you think about it, a lot of people do not think about the fact that their human mind has limitations. It can only do so much at any given moment. I talked about it a couple nights ago about how if we were to sit in Starbucks and try to look at people's outfits, listen to the conversation next to us, enjoy our coffee, type on their computer, um, listen to the music, focus on what we have to do when we get back home, focus on that deadline we have to hit, that our mind would literally just implode. It would literally do damage to the physical structure and our emotional balance if we tried to do that. There's just the the computer of our mind can only take so much like anything, okay? So when we get that, when we get that problem and we'll go into that in a little bit more about how to do what I was just talking about, but um When we take on too much to tackle and it starts to weigh us down, we need to first concentrate our efforts on small, manageable goals. We regain that feeling of control because we see things working for us, and that's our our basically key to our performance. But by first limiting the scope of our efforts, then watching those efforts have positive effect, We accumulate the resources that we need to do to build our business or build what we're working on, the knowledge, but especially the confidence to expand that circle. Because when I started first building my business back up from the ground after everything had fallen apart, and if I'm honest because I'm very ambitious, it's not anywhere close to where I want it to be. It's not really close to where it was when I was younger. But I'm finding that I have to start with a very small circle. I tried at first. Like I got back into Connecticut and I tried doing everything I did before and it didn't work out. Doing the exact same thing. I remember talking to my friend Ryan, who I'm very close to, and saying, hey, you know, I just... I'm doing everything I did before, but it's just not working. I feel like I'm overwhelmed. Like, and I never felt like this before. I used to work 15 hours a day on my business, and now I can't even like handle working like five or four. This is a while ago. 
And without it overwhelming me and stressing me out or me feeling bored or tired or me like wanting the results that I had before. I had to start small and I have to expand it. But as things start to go together, as I start getting leads, or first thing was like getting up a Facebook ad that had people starting to click on it. Um, You know, another small circle was me starting this podcast. Okay, it's still a small circle. I only have like four or five listeners a day right now. I'm not marketing it right now because I just want to see if I can be consistent and get the information out and then hear from the people that are listening to it that I know. And I also want to keep a close eye on certain people that I've told to listen to the podcast and start learning about certain things because I can't always spend every single moment with my pro bono or my people that I help for free. And this is a good way to help them all at once. But it's a small circle. It's a small circle that I'm growing. And eventually, that and I'm actually going to start doing YouTube videos as well for my business and all that. And I might blog in. Maybe not. Uh, Blogging was a little... Never really worked for me. But but yeah, small circle and it's growing. Okay? But that's what happens. I start seeing good results. I, you know... I posted my first Facebook ad again after a long time, started getting like a bunch of like clicks and people watching and Facebook, you can track pretty much everything, um, how long they've watched it, you know, if they're skipping around, all that cool stuff. Um, and then I got my, I got my first like lead. I got my first phone call and started feeling good again because I started getting that feeling again. And then I closed my first sale in a really long time and boom, all of that. Okay. So small circles. Remember, how we experience the world is shaped almost entirely by our mindset. The most successful people in work and in life, the ones that are happy, those are who have what psychologists have coined internal locus of control. The belief that they're actions have a kind of direct effect on their outcomes people with an external locus however are more likely to see daily events as dictated by external forces that's one thing i can't like and maybe it's because i'm young um maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong here but i feel like i've never heard somebody that's successful say oh it's all up to fate i I don't have any control over this just fate, you know, winds of fate blow me and everything's predetermined. I'm just along for the ride. I don't think, I mean, I've heard people say things like that, that they're, you know, controlled and their whole path is laid out and like, you know, fate is what controls them. But those people that I know that say those things are not successful. They're not happy. They're very much not happy. They're not successful in any given thing. They kind of seem to neglect their gifts that they've been given, the things that they're really good at. So I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if you're listening to this and you're a little bit more older and wiser, maybe maybe you can think of somebody. If you do, I would love to get an email, info at connorgilson.com. Shoot me an email of like the story because I, I, like, I want to... If, if there's one out there, I want to hear it. I do, I do. 
So let's put this into kind of perspective. So say you are working at a job and you're passed over for a promotion. A person with an external locus of control will say something like, people don't recognize my talent here. I never had a chance. I'm not, I'm not good enough or they'll never see what I'm capable of, things like that, okay? And then they lose motivations. In fact, when I was... Um, promoted to on one of my jobs. I remember somebody else that was going for it and they just completely lost like all motivation. They end up leaving. <clears throat> I don't up in my throat tonight. Anyways. Um, and then it happened a couple more times too. And I'm just like, I remember having a conversation because my first promotion I went for at that job, I didn't get, and I didn't, it didn't bother me. I was like, okay, no problem. That's fine. Hmm, No problem. And I remember having a conversation after I watched it happen for the fifth time with somebody. I'm like, I just don't get it. Like, if you don't get a promotion, why would you throw away everything? Why would you do that? I don't understand. And... It wasn't until when I was putting this together, I remembered that whole term about the external and internal um, locus. And I was like, oh, yeah. So that's been ingrained in my head for a very long time. And I just don't even remember the name of it, but it's a mechanism in my head. Because if we're like that, if we have that focus and we view that we never had a chance or nobody appreciates our talent, we believe nothing we do matters. We fall prey to this grip on us to learn the helpless, hopeless thing that I talked about last night, and it just consumes us. However, on the other hand, someone with an internal locus would look at the same thing and look for the things that they might have been able to do better. Maybe I could have interviewed better. Maybe I could have prepared a little bit longer. Maybe I could have put a 30, 60, 90 together about what I'm going to do. Um, you know, maybe I can start talking to other people here and see what they did to get promoted. Like, see the difference? And then they would work on improving the areas that they saw as flawed. Maybe they're not good at something. Maybe they're not good at something that that position entails. Maybe they're going for management and they're not good at leading people. Maybe they don't delegate in their position. It's always You can always find, if you're trying to go for a leadership position, you can always find a way to delegate. Whether it's to, if you're full-time to part-timers, if you're part-time to seasonal, whatever. Okay? Or temps or something. Okay? And, like, normally I don't bring up the whole, like, nine-to-five, like, thought pattern, but I thought that was a very good way to connect the dots. And I feel that a lot of people that are out there building a side hustle or building a business still work in a nine-to-five. And there's some times where I'm going to want to kind of cater and help them a little bit. Um, there are other, you know, there are other things. Because the reality is, if we feel in control over our jobs and our lives, it reduces stress, like crazy reduces the stress. And it actually literally affects our physical health. Health, I don't know what I'm doing with words tonight. There was one study where they um, 
they looked at 7,400 employees. They found that those who felt that they had little control over deadlines imposed by other people had a 50% higher risk of coronary uh, heart disease. Sorry, coronary heart disease than their counterparts. The effect was so staggering, researchers conclude that feeling a lack of control over pressure at work is as great a risk factor for heart disease as even high blood pressure is. Well, let me say that again. The stress brought on by having little control over deadlines was as bad as high blood pressure to causing um, heart disease. That's pretty crazy. And I've talked about this a lot, about how our mind can affect a lot of things outside of us. Like, actually, there's studies been given that um, our brain weighs because, you know, our skull is not a, you know, microwave chamber. <clears throat> um, that waves go from our head to other people's heads. Like, it actually, like, transmits out of our skulls because all our brain pulses and all that stuff is elect- electrical. That it goes out and other people pick up on it. They actually did one study where they, when we walk up to somebody, we get that kind of creepy feeling. We always thought for the longest time in psychology and body languages because, oh, it's the way they hold themselves, the way they talk, the way the things like that. But then they found out that our minds are actually picking up the brain waves of someone else. Ha <laughs> ha that stuff gives me chill, chills every time I, like, think about it. Like, that's what's going on. And then same thing, they did a study where um, guys that acted confident when they walked up to a girl they thought for the longest time it was body language. It was no. It partly is body language, but a lot of it was brain waves that were going out and being received by the other human mind by feeling that confidence that was going on in their head. Because you can fake body language and act confident and tough and like stuff like that and still fail at conveying how confident you are. But when those brainwaves are going out and they're feeling it, that's what happens. It's crazy to me. It's insane. And for the longest time, that was a thing that, like, that wasn't believed. It made no sense. But now look at what we found, right? They did a study in a group nursing home. And they gave them, and this is going back to the whole circle thing, they gave them one task um, or a few tasks in their lives, like putting them in charge of one houseplant, okay? One houseplant. Not only did the levels of happiness improve, but their mortality rate actually dropped by 50%. I don't think I could find a smaller circle than taking control or taking care of a houseplant. I have one when my grandfather died, they handed them out. They're a little succulent. It's in a it's in a coffee mug that's a bunch of like Irish stuff on the side of it. And I've been taking care of it since he died. Um 
and it means a lot to me. In fact, if that thing were to, if the cup were to fall and break and the plant was to get damaged to the point that it died, it would be very devastating to me. But all I have to do is water the thing, and it's a succulent, so like they don't need to be watered often. But taking care of it and watching it grow and things like that brings me joy. It brings me joy. And I, it's odd because I've, besides um, when I was younger and in school and we grew fast plants and we learned about pollination and stuff like that, and you could like, we grew them in like little film things and like fed them and stuff like that, which I did have fun doing that. But besides that one time, I've never had a plant that I've taken care of. My parents would always have me water plants in the house and it drove me nuts. But it's something that I enjoy doing. I enjoy looking at. I enjoy. But yeah, so mortality rate dropped by 50%. So something very small is taking care of a house plant. But just feeling the mastery over even that tiny little task actually extended these people's lives. That is how important that we eliminate stress and that we build like hope and and control. We feel like we have control over something. We don't have to control people and manipulate them and bend them to our will, but have control over something where you feel that you have control. It's good. There's a lot of things. I like to dabble um, with the control mechanism as far as in human psychology. There's certain, um, let's call them hobbies, that I am involved in that I like watching the kind of psychology of somebody controlling something or even someone or in business or in personal or things like that where I like to see that dynamic. I like to see where people feel like they're nurturing somebody or they're taking care of them or they're being confident in charge and alpha or dominant or whatever. The more you know, the more you listen to the podcast, the more you learn about me, huh? Um, But yeah, so the thing is, when we break it down, our kind of, our minds, I want to make this super simple. How am I going to make this super simple? So our mind's really kind of in, in two different sections and there's a much better way to explain it than I think I'm going to explain it now, but I wanted to be super simple. So let's do this. Um, so there's two, there's two sides. There's the, which the first side is going to be easy for me to, or the second side technically, cause it came later, but uh, I'll do the first side first. So the first part of our brain, which is the part of the brain that if you believe in evolution or you believe in like um, anything like that, creative evolution, whatever, um, the part of our mind that reacted in knee-jerk ways to like dangers and hunger and things like that, let's call it the jerk brain, okay? Um, not jerk like nasty, bad person, but like jerk like twitchy jerk type thing, okay? Um, 
So like knee jerk, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Um, that part of the brain is the thing that like saved us from being killed by you know wild animals when humans lived you know in the wilderness and things like that. Okay. Then we have what I'll call the thinking, the thinker part of the brain, the thing that's more logical and focuses on facts and opens deeper things, things like that. Most of our daily challenges that we have in life are served better by the thinker, but unfortunately. When we're feeling stressed out or out of control or burdened, the jerk tends to take over. And this isn't something that happens consciously, by the way. It's, and I wouldn't even say it's the subconscious. It's biological. When we're under pressure, the body starts to build up too much cortisol, um, which is the toxic chemical that's associated with stress, right? It's there for a reason. It helps protect us in certain situations, but once that stress has reached a critical point, even the smallest setback can trigger a response that essentially is like hitting the big red panic button in our brain. When that happens, the jerk overpowers the thinker or the thinker's defense, spurring us into action without conscious thought. So we once again get dominated by the jerk part of our brain that takes control and acts quickly instead of think and thinking we react the jerk part of us responds with a classic thing that we've all heard about fight or flight and then we become victims of what scientists call emotional hijacking okay so emotional hijacking is when we're not in control of what's going on anymore our biological jerk side of our brain is okay and it's funny okay um, they've done a bunch of studies on this. Um, let's see, I have quite a few studies. Let's see which one I'm going to do. There was one, um, study here that they put, um, two groups into identical high stress situations, like solving difficult, dif difficult math problems in a short amount of time or writing the most upsetting moment of their lives that they've ever had while he basically tracked their brain function through uh, MRI. Um, as each subject tackled the challenge, he would watch the rational and the jerk part of the brain light up on the brain scan. And they would duel back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for supremacy. supremacy. Well, I am really bad at words tonight. I usually like mess up one or two, but tonight is bad. Um, He said that the for the resilient individuals, the prefrontal cortex rapidly won over the limbic system. Limbic system is going to be your jerk part. Um, so in most cases with people that um, had more resilience, the thinker won over the jerk. The group that's easily troubled, on the other hand, exhibited a continuous rise of that activity from the jerk side of the brain, which hijacked the brain from the thinker part, and then overwhelmed the brain's reasoning and coping capabilities and made the distress much, much worse. 
So at this point, you kind of might be wondering, like, what is all this brain activity, like stuff, stuff and studies and this different parts of our mind, things like that have to do with, you know, our goals at work? Well, a lot. <laughs> um, and if you were to look at all the studies of what the tolls of emotional hijacking is, um, and what it can do on a professional life, if you saw every single one, you'd be terrified. When, and it's not always big stress, like small piles of stress like that pile up over time, as they do in the workplace, it happens, whether we're a 9-to-5 job or we're side hustling or we have a massive company, it happens. Little stress, little stress, little stress, little stress, and boom. Okay. It only takes a minor annoyance or irritation to lose control when you're piling on all that stress. So in other words, the jerk will jump into the driver's seat and hijack your brain again, okay? So what can happen when we are not, um, if we don't have emotional intelligence, okay? What happens? Well, we can lash out on others. We can lash out on coworkers. Um, we may feel like super helpless and overwhelmed or suddenly lose all energy and motivation. So then our decision-making skills, productivity, and effectiveness are all going to take a massive nosedive because our mind is overwhelmed with what's going on in our head and we can't make any of those decisions. It's funny because a failing economy or economical hardship can also be a massive powerful trigger to emotional hijacking. Neuroscientists have found that financial losses are actually processed in the same areas of the brain that respond to mortal danger. So remember how I said that the jerk brain was originally there for when we lived with like wild animals and we we're constantly in danger? Well, economical hardship or severe economical hardship triggers the same exact part of the brain that is connected to us as if like a lion or a tiger jumped out and tried to kill us. It's crazy stuff. So ways to kind of fix that, um, to kind of help with it is like I said, build that little circle and kind of work your way out. Um, you can write down your feelings in a journal or talk to a coworker or a confidant. Um, verbalize the stress that's and the helplessness. Don't hold it back. Don't be scared to be vulnerable. Find a really close friend and talk to them and trust them. Sometimes it's hard because we wanna, you know, we wanna, especially if we're a business owner or if we're new to a friendship or things like that, we wanna act tough and strong and things like that. And you know what? You're right. Some people like that, if you do that to them and you like tell them all your problems and things like that, they'll back off from you. But let me tell you, those people are not worth it and they shouldn't be in your life in the first place. So if that happens, I mean, I mean, obviously, if you hire somebody, you shouldn't be like, well, congratulations, you got the job. Now we're going to talk for the next 45 minutes about how my life is not going so well. Like, don't do that. But if you've known the person for a while and you tell them that stuff and they kind of back off from you, then they did you a favor. Move on. Find somebody that you can confide in them. And don't always confine, like, every single time you see them, like, oh, this has happened, this is bad, because then they're going to feel like you're using them to kind of as an emotional crutch, if you will. So you want to kind of 
balance it out, all right? Don't neglect people by constantly complaining about your life. Try to keep complaining down to a minimum because remember, we're trying to keep ourselves happy. But however, if there's something inside us and toxic, that's one of the things with me. All my friends know that. If something's bothering me, I will say it. I get it out as quickly as possible. Um, when I had, was losing like everything, I told a bunch of people. My pride didn't want me to. My pride wanted me to be quiet and just go silently into the dark. But I knew that I had to talk to people in order to get over it. I w- and I also have like a whole like a horribly morbid sense of humor. So like anything that's bad that happens to me, I joke almost explicitly about it, like or exclusively on it. Like, it's just part of my mechanism to surviving. Okay? But doing that. If you don't want to trust other people, you can write in a journal. But if you, I would recommend talking to other people, verbalizing the stress and helplessness, because that is going to help more than just writing in a journal. I think a journal is good to help. And if you're writing those three things down a day that you're grateful for, you can get all that toxicity out. That's what I was doing during... Uh, my my divorce i'd get out all the toxicity all the rage and anger and stuff in the journal um i wouldn't scream like i wouldn't say the things that um that i was feeling towards my my ex but like to other people but i do like a poison ink letter where i just write out all my rage and hatred and then i break like a nice couple spaces and then I write the things that I was grateful for the day and that helped me that helped me get through it very very quickly okay and that's the thing another thing that I feel like people do so often and I am a big a big person for setting our goals super high like I don't it's like I said it's better to you know set the bar high and come just very short of hitting that goal than setting it low and hitting it It's just, you shouldn't do it that way. But no matter how many times you've heard from motivational speakers, coaches, books, audiobooks, YouTube videos, and the like, reaching for the stars constantly is a recipe for failure. You can set high goals, but if you set them so high, you're never even going to come close to them or you do it constantly, you're going to end up destroying yourself. You're, like, Who cares about motivation? Motivation is fleeting, but your drive and your goals and your happiness is all going to be destroyed because you're constantly reaching for something you can't obtain. Remember, small circle and then work your way out. Don't write a book, write a page. Don't expect to be the great manager in your first six months. Just try to set expectations well. Everything is little steps. And that's probably one of the best things I can give any new business owner. You have to start small. I did months and months and months and months of researching and learning from my friend before I opened my business. Small circle, work your way out. Get very comfortable in that circle. Be, be if that that circle. The thing that was amazing about Zoro was when he was fighting in that small circle. He was bad at first because you gotta think you don't have a lot of balance. You can't you know 
plant your feet the way you want. You can get knocked off, things like that. But he learned to get better and better and better. Okay? If you get better and better and better, then you can widen your scope. You can pull back a little bit. You can make a bigger circle, and you can get better in that. But that was the impressive part, that once he got very, very efficient in that tiny, tiny, tiny little circle, it got easier and easier as he kept getting it bigger. So that's about it. I do have the second part here, but there is no way I'm getting into that tonight. So that will be tomorrow's. Um, and that's pretty much it. 40 minutes on the clock. And that's about it. I am going to go to sleep and then wake up and work like crazy tomorrow. And yeah. So I will see you guys. Or I guess I won't see you because I can't. Um, I'll see your views. So I guess, yeah, I'll see your views. So I guess I'll see you guys tomorrow. Um, that's about it. Have a good rest of your night, day, morning, whatever whenever you're listening to this, and hopefully this helps you out. Have a good night, guys.